Welcome to Restoration Basics. This is the Preparatory Podcast. My name is Samuel Jordison, and I'm joined by my compadres... Andrew Smith. Jason Kane. And we are giving away 20 Monopoly dollars to anyone who writes in what was the soundtrack from. <laughs> well, it should be easy. <laughs> it's only one of the greatest movies of all time. Greatest animated movies of all time. That is true. Yes. Toy Story. <laughs> Andrew has story. to pay 20 Monopoly dollars. <laughs> Andrew is now being charged. <laughs> Fox and the Hound. You are so off. Thank it's okay. But <laughs> well, I was going to say you're in the ballpark, but not really. Because I don't know. Did Disney make it? No. Uh, Pixar? DreamWorks. DreamWorks. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Spirit. Stallion of the Cimarron. <laughs> it's a good film. Spirit is one of the best <laughs> animated movies of all time. Um, we are now into... Um, a part of Mosiah, we are going through. <laughs> I jumped around there a little bit. We are going through the chapters of the Book of Mormon, um, trying to pull some stuff from each one, talk about, it, discuss it. Um, just give us, I guess, a little bit of a reading guide um, and uh, to accompany you as you work through the Book of Mormon, or maybe you're not able to read as much. Maybe you're just able to listen. Um, hopefully, we can we can bring some of that good. Good talk, good, uh, <laughs> good. Some of those the the great words stuff. from the book, yeah, stuff from the Book of Mormon to your ears. Um, today we are in the Book of Mosiah, chapters four and five. Um, a little bit different than our past um, episodes because we've had episodes where it's primarily. Uh, how should we say it? History. Um, does that make sense? Like, uh, it's, it's more events going on, and there's still some good, there's some good conversation stuff written down, but but there's a lot of um, there's a lot of just this happened and this happened and this happened, which uh, is is what the whole Book of Mormon would have been like if we wouldn't have gotten the the first plates of Nephi that accompanied the plates but um so kicking off i'll give you a, a little sum up of the story here uh or jason do you want to tell us what happened last chapter uh, what we covered in and uh what was going on set the stage for us up until up until this chapter we have been experiencing a sermon slash speech by our friend, King Benjamin. Um, the one friend, and only. Friend of the yes. show. <laughs> friend of the show. Very much in our hearts. Um, <laughs> Big donator. <laughs> he donates so much He donated wisdom. a lot of good wisdom. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's primarily been everything in the Book of Mosiah up until now. Um, but very uh, crucial to the story of the Book of Mormon. And so he wraps up his uh, his sermon um, and his conversation with the people gathered, and they all go back to their homes. And picking up here in chapter four, um, and we're just going to tie chapters four and five together because they're they're kind of similar in terms of, of history. Not a lot of conversation, but um, 
Joachim Benjamin sends everyone back to their homes. And then he um, names Mosiah, his son, um, to be the next consecrated ruler. And so Mosiah is set apart um, as king over the people. Um, and um, but also, um, before King Benjamin kind of retires, um, he appoints priests to teach um, the people um, that which he just kind of went over in his speech. Um, and and what I really liked about, or what I took away from, from this part, was that the priests were to teach the people um, that they might hear the commandments of God and to stir them up in remembrance of the oath which they had made. So we just talked about the covenant that they made um, with with the God and um, uh, it, basically everyone made that. I believe it said everyone except uh, children um, made that covenant. And so the priests were to constantly remind people of the covenant they've made. Um, just asking, I have a, I have a priest right here next to me sitting to my right. And I want to ask him, um, what does it mean to you when, when I ask, when, when, so, or when someone to say, stir up a remembrance of the covenant that people have made when you, when you remind people of the covenant they've made, you know, I've always had this mental picture and this is going back to my roots of having a weird analogy with things <laughs> of, um, everybody being a, a glass of tea and then you know how you put sugar starts in there. Off good. Yeah, it starts <laughs> off good. You know, you, you you want sweet tea, right? Because you're not a weirdo. So yeah, you put sugar in your tea. Um, but what happens if you don't stir it? It all sinks to the bottom and it's useless. And this isn't as weird of an analogy. As, this one's solid so it's, far. Yeah, it's, it's fairly solid. You stir it so that it comes to the top and so that you can use it. And, and that's how the priest should be with stirring up the testimonies of the people is that if you don't do anything with it, if it doesn't stir up your life, it's not going to sweeten you up, but it's not going to be of any use to anybody else either. So uh, I've always, I've always, not always, but I've thought of that uh, in the past is just like, yeah, it's kind of the purpose is just to, you know, liven things up a little bit again, just remind people, this is why you added, or this is why this was added to your life because it'll make it better. I don't know if an analogy can be made, but that's why you just put the sugar in while it's hot. When you're brewing the tea hot, put the sugar in right there. Then you don't have to sweeten it later and it won't sink to the bottom. <laughs> what about lukewarm tea? <laughs> <laughs> no one wants that. <laughs> it is spewed out. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, King Benjamin was pretty pretty straightforward, and he said, "You keep this in your minds all the time when you when you're striving, you're enduring to the end. Um, there is no there is no forgetting this uh, when you take upon the covenant, and uh, and if you're letting your sugar sink to the bottom, then it's of no use. Of no use, and it's and it's actually worse yeah. because you think you have sugar in your tea, but really you're just tasting unsweet tea. A waste." I also just think it's cool um, that the priests are doing that um, because um, one of the responsibilities of priests is to baptize people. Um, I'm not a priest, so I don't do that. But it is kind of like, a, all right, I did this for you type thing. I helped you come to Christ. Now I got to keep reminding you. And, so. Yeah, and I, w I went through, uh, not went through, but uh, Oak Grove was 
where I go to church, they were doing an ironic meeting every couple times every month. And uh, we were going through the priesthood manual, looking at responsibilities and stuff and how we could better serve the congregation and, and everything. And, you know, it, it really turned out to be, we have responsibilities and a lot of the ones that you would list if you, you ask somebody, you know, what is the responsibility of, of said office? They would tell you, um, but then there's a second half to that and that's following up. And it, w- it was really ingrained in me that following up is just as important as baptizing someone, you know, like keeping keeping them on that path or, or reminding them that they, hey, yeah, you had this testimony or, you know, uh, following up is a, a huge part of a priesthood office's oh, responsibility. Yeah. I, I think that's a struggle and even our home visiting um, that we've done is getting a second visit in there. Um, just because there's so many people <laughs> that need <laughs> visits. But if you want to make a lasting impact, that means constantly going. It means following up. Right. Yeah. It does mean following up. Yeah. Yeah. It can't be overstated. So King Benjamin uh, ordains um, priests and sets them in order to uh, to talk to the people. Uh, Mosiah begins to reign over um, the Nephites there in Zarahemla. And uh, King Benjamin passes. He goes on to eternal life. And that King Mosiah begins to walk in the ways of the Lord. He keeps the commandments and he causes his people that they should till the earth. So they're being uh, industrious. They're being, they're, they're workers. They're not lazy. Um, it says, and he also himself did till the earth and that there might, that, that he might not become burdensome to his people that he might do according to that, which his father had done in all things. Um, I, I think there's two sides to this coin. Um, the, obviously he's not a burden to his people. People aren't paying for his taxes on, on, on his lavish lifestyle or anything like that. He's working with his hands. But the other thing being that there is a value and there is a, a blessing there for people with shared experiences. Andrew, you touched on this yesterday, or yesterday episode, last episode, uh, when you talked about being at camp and you having that experience as a, one of your foundational testimonies going through a tough time and then sharing that to someone else. And, and maybe you already shared the extent of what you, you're able to share, but I think there's a huge benefit to you going through the same thing that other people going through in the future will and being able to relate to them. And that, and that's one of the best things about Jesus is that God in himself is not very relatable to us. I mean, it, He's not. He he's perfect. (laughs) We're not. He's all powerful. We're not. He's all knowing. We're not. But Jesus is, you know, and and that's the crazy thing about it is that he is relatable and he he did stub his toe kind of thing. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's looking and I mean, that's the most extreme example. But yeah, going to my testimony, uh, there's there's a bond that was created because we went through and got a similar testimony. And so, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, that Rich Mullins song, uh, a boy like, is a boy like me or a boy like you? I don't One remember, of the two. honestly. Where, but he relates growing up and how um, Jesus also went through the same, you know, experiences. Like they were different, but they, you know, he knew that this deeply personal God that he worshiped um, had some of the same things. So like um, Jesus was born in a stable and Rich was born in a hospital and and, you know, they dressed him in swaddling clothes and they dressed Rich in uh, baby blue little pajamas, you know, and, and just 
through this connection of like, hey, you know, you have a lot of the same similarities of me. It's a huge, um, rel- I don't know if relief's the right word, um, pull, I guess, to, to having someone who knows how you're feeling. Yeah, I, I think I've talked about this in, in past episodes, but that's one of the huge things about Christianity. And it is a pull because every other religion out there their God isn't relatable as well. And I use the example of Hinduism where, I mean, they have trillions of gods. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly how many, but it's it's an insane amount and, and none of them care about you. None of them. Uh, they they care about themselves and whether they procreate and, and, and things like that, but none of them care about you. And so the people over in Nepal, when they, they hear about Jesus and, hey, this all-powerful person came to earth because he loves you. You're like, that's so foreign, but it's, it's attractive, you know, Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. One of the, this isn't necessarily a spiritual experience, but one of the coolest things I've been able to be a part of is I worked for an organization. It was a nonprofit for um, women who had been human trafficked, um, sexually trafficked, um, exploited, cotton, you know, drug, just really bad situations terrible and what how i got in contact with them is we have a mutual friend and and he works with the law enforcement side and so i was talking to him about ways i could get involved on uh on the other end and so he he connected me with this organization and i got to do some basically pro bono work for for them just writing brochures writing fundraising fundraising letters but i got to go out with the director one day and so much of her job was um, driving up and down the street in l- high risk areas, I guess you'd call them, like the bad parts of Kansas City, <laughs> um, giving out hats and mittens and food um, to people on the street, women on the street. And there she would tell them about kind of the organization and what they did and say, hey, if you ever need stuff, let me know. Here's where we are. You can find me there. Um but there was also a, an added benefit to, or not benefit, um, there was another poll, and that was that the director of the Justice Project had been pre- uh, trafficked as a kid, not a, as a kid, sorry, as a, a teenager, so well, as a kid, but, and grown up for like three years in a prostitution ring, captive, unable to leave, and had seen terrible things, had been hooked on terrible things, just, her story was crazy, and it was like, I remember telling her the first time I met her when she was when share, sharing her story with me is that I was like, your normal is so much different than my normal. And and through her experience of leaving, uh, of getting out of that and and um, kind of getting back home, um, it happened to her when she was in Chicago. And so she was unable to leave Chicago. She's from Kansas for three years. And when she got back home, she didn't tell anybody for years um, until she started doing some nonprofit work. And even in the, the years between her getting back to Kansas and um, her starting the organization, she fell back into some habits and um, had some struggles that obviously accompany that sort of trauma. But when she tells um, other people on the street, says, hey, I have been in your situation. This is what happened to me. They are so much more willing to listen, willing to talk, willing to um, open up and and share and I, I cannot uh, um, deny the value of that. And it's terrible what happened to her. I, and you never, you never wish that on anybody, right? Not that, but her 
she's turned it into a huge advantage and turned it into a huge um, way to reach out to people. And she's able to connect with people that a lot of other organizations are not able to connect with um, just because of her experiences and her shared her shared uh, experiences that she has with the girls on the street. That, that uh, leads me to one of my, I, I won't say great fears about the restoration, but one of the things that I'm, oh, uh, I don't know, mo- most hesitant about when you look at scripture, um, just as a whole, you look at the best missionaries and they were people who had done terrible things beforehand. And it it's kind of, it makes, it gives me pause to think that, you know, where are the drug addicts in our church? Where are the, where are the people who came out of, um, prostitution in our church where where are these people because when the church is at its strongest it's changing those people and 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 so it's it's really frightening for me to see us be complacent and and you know the and and i'm not trying to say that it's a bad thing that we don't have terrible people in our church obviously i mean like that's not the point it's Mm -hmm. the point is that the ministry of jesus when he came to the earth he changed people's lives, period. And, and it didn't matter how bad you were. He, I mean, he, he was hanging around the, the, the bad people and, and it and he changed their life. And that's why there was such a big splash after he left was because everybody saw that there was this huge change. And Paul, you look at Paul, one of the best missionaries of all time, was probably because he had gone so far the other way. And I mean, it's just incredible to see the the work that God was able to do with him because he saw the change in his own life, but because other people saw the change in, in his life. And so I, I, I'm really looking forward to the day in which we can see that same change in other people's lives who are a part of our church again. And I know there are people that are like that. And they're like, yeah, I, I used to deal with substance abuse or, or whatever the issue may be, but you know, it's not as commonplace. And I'm I'm hesitant about it a little bit because it should be there. We we mm-hmm. should have those people. Well, I also think that uh, there's a talking. It's a, a, another thought process in terms of shared experiences, um, but we don't have a lot of people who uh, who go out because I'm not saying you have. You know, there's an advantage to people going through that and their journey of beating um, addiction or or whatever you want to call it and. Uh, um, and then able to share their experiences. There's also an advantage to people who do not have a problem with it, who jump into that world, um, who are strong enough to resist it and be a witness to those. I think about the sons of Mosiah who are just, you know, success, super successful missionaries. Well, at least Ammon was, <laughs> but, um, Aaron was collectively, too. They, Co- all collectively were, yeah. they all were too. Yeah. Aaron got thrown in prison, right? And then he, uh, yeah. And then Am had to rescue. But anyway, anyway, we're not going to go into we're not going to go into who's the weak link in the sons of Mosiah or whatever. But um, but them saying if we're jumping ahead here, which we're and not even very much like they're soon right. Yeah, yeah so hopefully sad. we have material left. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you have the sons of Mosiah who who go and Ammon says, "Hey, I'll be a servant for you. I will work for you because that's the best way to reach you." And uh, there's not a lot of that going on either because we're really comfortable where we are. Um, there's a big advantage to going to your mission field, wherever that be, and and working along right side who you're 
who your target is. It's a huge advantage, I think. Um, and I, and I don't think I've done a very good job of that because I'm a sheltered, uh, middle class suburban. Well, not suburban. Uh, I'm from a small town. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Equitable. <laughs> and, and not to say that limits my ministry, but in some cases it does. And, but in other ways, it gives me a different demographic that I'm able to work with, but everyone's equally valuable. And when we have a surplus of people who are really good at ministering to people like us, then we, to your point, we, uh, we miss out on the people that really need them most in a changed life. Well, it, yeah. And, and I realize I, that might've come across that I, um, like you said, that, that not having those experiences limits people's ministry. And I really feel like, um, like on, on the flip side of that, if you have those, it, it enhances your ministry. And, and to some, uh, outsider looking on that might be the case but i really feel like it's the spirit you gain because you've beaten that that enhances it not yeah. the experience itself and so the lack of it doesn't hinder it it's just that you haven't you haven't had that spirit overcoming in your life and so you know i, I don't know that that's what i really mean is is that i i'm looking forward to a day in which a people has or a person or people in our church have that spirit of overcoming love and, and hope and joy in their life. And I don't see that, you know, and uh, collectively at least. Yeah. It's not an indictment on really the people who currently are ministering. It's more a call to those who either have beaten or are trying to beat something that like you matter just as much as everyone else. And the, the ministry that you can bring to other people once you beat something or if you already have then you have such a awesome role uh, to play in ministering to others but yeah like like you've said i've i've met a lot of great people who some have had at least you know their partying stage you see some of that in the church today of like oh i went through kind of my rebellious stage and um kind of settled down and came to the lord and those help those people who are going through those situations i don't think there are, will ever be necessarily a perfect minister who can connect with everyone on every level but yeah it, it's just an awesome call to anyone out there that there are people out there that you can help bring to um bring closer to God. So. Yeah. And uh, I was just thinking about this. Josh may have mentioned it when he was on the podcast, but he has, uh, he has that stories of, of when he was working at the pizza shop Minsky's that every party he was invited to, he went with his buddy Tyler, who's, who's also in the church and they didn't drink. Right. But it was an opportunity for them to meet the people who desperately needed Jesus where those people were willing to be. Uh, and, and they had some cool experiences through that. And so we end uh, chapter three with uh, King Benj uh, sorry, King Mosiah tilling the earth. And uh, and we move into chapter five. Oh, sorry. Did I say chapter three? We end chapter four um, with Mosiah. And then oh, there's three, three years. years of peace. Three years of peace. Um, and after the three years of peace, if you remember um, back in 
uh, well, a few chapters ago. It may have been, um, it was in Omni. Amalekai, the last author of, uh, sorry, Abinadom. Oh, sorry. No, it's Amalekai. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with this. No, uh, I, I just want to give a backstory. Uh, okay. So if you remember in the last few verses of Omni, um, Amalekai mentions uh, there's a group of men who were desirous to go back to the land that the original King Mosiah, King Benjamin's father, Mosiah, uh, left. And, um, and so those men go to seek out those people. Um, and they're never really heard from again. <laughs> and so the three years pass in Mosiah's current Mosiah's reign, Mosiah the second, I guess. And uh, he decides that he wants to, to, to know what happened to the people who went up and dwelt in the land of Lehi Nephi um, because they hadn't heard anything from the time they left Zarahemla. And so King Mosiah takes uh, 16 guys and he sends them off and, the the leader um, of these sixteen guys is a guy named Ammon. Now this is a different Ammon than um, the traditional or the that talked about the mo- the more popular Ammon uh, who cut off all the arms. This guy was not that guy. Um, so there's multiple Ammons. Ammon um, also has <laughs> three brothers. Can you name them? No. Okay, Jason says no. Uh, it's not really important, but it's Amalekai, Helam, and Hem. I don't know if they ever show up again and <laughs> and these um, but anyway they're mentioned nice so Ammon goes out and about and they're journeying for a while and they go down into the land of Nephi and they met the king of the people in this land and they were surrounded by the king's guards and they're taken and they're thrown in prison and then they're brought before the king. And uh, Andrew had an interesting or uh, something he liked here in verse 11. I'll let him read it and then explain it. Yeah, it, it's just something that I find funny. And it says they stood before the king and were permitted or rather commanded that they should answer the questions which he had asked them. It's just a literary kind of fact in the Book of Mormon when it says or rather it's to, to they couldn't erase. And so when they say, or rather, it's like, actually, what I really mean is this next thing. So he's like, well, they were permitted. Actually, that's too soft of a word. They were commanded. <laughs> and it, I just thought it was kind of funny reading that, but probably wasn't as funny Mormon, to them. As Mormon was engraving the plates, he was like, yeah. oh, maybe a little bit harsher of a word. <laughs> <laughs> he could see them being interrogated over there. And he's like, permitted. And then he watches the the interrogator smack him and say, answer our questions. And then he's like, oh, scratch that command. Um, and so the the king's guards um, interrogate them. And then uh, Ammon, when he is commanded to answer, he, he goes forth and he bows himself before the king and he, he tells them their story. Um, he says, we're so thankful you're alive. And uh, he says, this is where I'm from. I'm from the land of Zarahemla, where your fathers uh, left, and I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> he says uh, we've been looking for you, and we just wanted to know what happened. And uh, the king, whose name is Limhi, he's very excited. He he says, uh, "Well, get those bands off those guys," um, because he knows he has friends. And then the king uh, begins to 
to tell them a story, what happened. And he says, uh, we're not going to bind Ammon and his brethren anymore. So they unbind the guys and, and they tell him that, um, hey, we are in some major bondage, <laughs> major problems <laughs> with the with the Lamanites. Major problems. Major problems. And, um, and he gets all the people together and uh, he begins to tell them that... Uh, that by the grace of God, basically by um, the the goodness of God, um, that um, the people of Zarahemla have come and found them, and that they are hopefully rescued. That they are um, that they should have faith that they uh, they are um, in faith in God, and uh, that they should expect blessings, and that they should turn from their wicked ways because. Um, they've had a problem, and in the next few chapters, we'll we'll talk about that. Pro, uh, what happens because it's kind of a long process. But um, what what basically is the situation right now is that the Lamanites come and they are really in charge of the Nephites. Um, they tax them fifty percent of everything they they farm and they harvest and they they own, which is a huge deal. It's a, that's a lot. Um, Jason, you're a politics guy. What's the current tax rate of the average American? Um, I wouldn't know actually offhand. Okay. Well, you're just, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'd say I'm pretty much an average American and I think I'm like 20 something percent. Okay. So just 30 more percent than that. Double it. (laughs) And then some more. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look it up real quick. It's 24% is the average tax rate yeah. a single worker faced with net average tax. 24%. So you're looking at double double that from the Lamanites, taxing the Nephites. And also remember that this is a not a... And they're not getting public schools from it. <laughs> they are not. They're not getting wow. none of the benefits. <laughs> they're getting so, nothing. Yeah. Um, there is no property tax going on here. There's no um, <laughs> streets that they kind of pay for or food that they're getting it's just all going away which is a uh, it's a bum deal yeah (laughs) Yeah. if they if they have a side of the stick it's the short one um (laughs) and so um he begins to say what what happened was when they got to uh their place of of living where they're in, in the land of nephi um he sent spies out and the spies this is going back and forward to find a place of massive destruction, swords, rusty, uh, rusty. I tried to say rusty and rusty. <laughs> uh, rusted swords, uh, just a place of all out warfare with, with nobody alive, just destruction. And they also find these gold plates there. And so they bring the gold plates there. And so on top of this taxation and this, this persecution by the Lamanites, <laughs> they also are like, um, there was a massive, war on our doorstep and we don't know what happened so uh, we'd like to know what happened there and what caused it do you have anybody and so ammon says well yes mosiah our king is a seer which is like a prophet but in a way a little bit better than a i don't know if you can say better than a prophet um he is uh well, greater than a prophet it says a seer is a revelator and a prophet also and a gift which is greater can no man have except he should possess the power of God, which no man can. Yet a man may have great power given him from God, but a seer can know of things which have passed and also of things which are to come. 
and by them shall all things be revealed, or rather, shall secret things be made manifest, and hidden things shall come to light, and things which are not known shall be made known by them. And so Ammon gives um, Keen Lim Hai some hope of finding out what happened to the records. He gives them some hope on um, being rescued from the taxation of the Lamanites. And, uh, and then uh, we kind of end the chapter. So I guess I'll just kick it over to you guys. I don't this episode's like 10 minutes long so far. Um, We're at 35 minutes. Oh, dang. Yeah. Okay. We're good to go. <laughs> okay. um, do you guys have anything you want to say in this little chapter of, of history? Well, really, taxation without representation is just <laughs> horrendous. <laughs> just another, uh, you know, after, after talking about or mentioning, or rather earlier, you see it in what Sam just read in 79, and it's just really a clarifier, and I, I would really like um, everybody to just be conscious of that when when reading, especially the Book of Mormon, because oftentimes they misspeak and they can't scratch it out or something because they're engraving on plates uh, or, or whatever it may be. And, and so they're clarifying because it's important that you see something else. And so just like here, he's, he's giving a clarification about who a sea area is, is and, and what they do. And so... Yeah, just just looking for that because it's in the it's in the books a lot. It's in there a lot. So, and Joseph Smith was the prophet seer and revelator, which yeah. was both the prophet and the revelator were just kind of part of that. Yeah, extensions of that seer gift, I guess. Right. Yeah. Some of the testimonies that 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 don't make it in, uh, well, they're testimony. They they're not in the doctrine and covenants, but um, some of the stuff that Joseph experienced as a as a seer. Um, he saw um, a lot of the things that happened in the Book of Mormon. There's testimonies of him uh, of knowing what the people uh, looked like, what they wore. Um, you know, it wasn't just a he he translated the plates, which is obviously an awesome gift. But um, the gift that he had was was crazy by human standards, <laughs> um, and also by the standards of of God too. I guess because he doesn't give that gift out to many, but. It was a, a huge deal. Um, and I, I believe here it, it says that uh, um, all things should be na- made known by them. So uh, anyway. You know, uh, just one more thought about that is that it says a, a seer is someone who brings forth secret things or things that aren't known. You know, and one of the qualities that I really appreciate about God is that when you look for him, he's there. And whenever there is a time in which there is a collective group of people that are searching for God. There will be, he will use someone to reveal things to them, whether, whether it be an angel or, or an experience or a prophet that he will reveal himself in some way. And so we look around and in the restoration and, and don't see a prophet. And that begs the question, do, are we truly searching for <laughs> secret things? Are we, are we truly are we searching ship? for, yeah. Uh, uh, and so anyway, there's um, a, now we're down a rabbit hole. Do you remember that? It might be in the lectures on faith. It's yeah, it's lectures on faith. It's the last one. Yeah, it's from lecture seven, um, verse uh, twenty, paragraph I, that fast. I and J. It's at the it's at the very end. I knew okay. I, I was fairly Good sure job. I knew. Um, and it says, for when faith comes, it brings its train of attendants with it. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, gifts, wisdom, knowledge, miracles, healings, tongues, interpretations of tongues, etc. 
all these appear when faith appears on the earth and disappear when it disappears from the earth. For these are the effects of faith and always have and always will attend it. And and it goes on. And obviously, lectures on faith is about faith. So, I mean, it's just lecturing on, on the concept of faith and, and why we should have it in our lives and, and the effects of it, like it says there. But um, that speaks to my question, I guess. What if... You know, if, if faith is here on the earth, where are the attendants that follow faith? Well, if God says it always follows faith, then do we have faith kind of thing? So what do you, just this is just question. toss this up and we're getting kind of, I know this is short, there's no reason to make this episode longer. So Jason, you can cut this if you want, but we talk a lot about, uh, well, not a lot about, but some about corporate repentance where we come together and repent as a body. What do you think about the idea of, um, or what does the what does it look like corporate faith look like? This is an interesting question. Because uh obviously uh the scriptures in lecture on faith were or not scripture, but the, the point made in lectures on faith was clear. However, let's let's just say that we in the restoration don't have we don't have hey, we don't have apostles. In the independent restoration branches, there's no one recognizes uh, apostles. Or there's no one that everyone agrees with is an apostle or even agrees that there should be a apostles called. Does that mean that there is no faith? I mean, among the individual people, or is there something like no corporate faith? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that there could be a line drawn between corporate and individual faith. Um, corporate faith to me looks like reliance on the spirit in a, at a corporate level, which I, I don't believe we have. Uh, because we, we, you, you have the, I don't remember where you got, or if you made it up, but the, the hymn sandwich. Oh, that was the Thomas's. Uh, yeah. yeah the Thomas's okay. tell me about the hymn. Yeah. They, they call it the, the hymn sandwich. Yeah. Anyway, we'll have to have Anna Maria on sometime. Yeah. That'd be fun. Um, but like, it's, it's kind of not cool to go off script at some services, you know? And like, well, that's the whole point of Jesus coming here is that he was off script kind of thing, you know? So I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like if corporately we were to say we're going to rely on the spirit and that does not mean we go willy nilly with no plan and no preparation and just say, God, lead us somewhere because that's the opposite of wanting the spirit with you. But if corporately we sought for a personal and corporate blessing I believe God would come to us, you know, and, and bless us in a way that we haven't seen. And obviously that hasn't happened yet. So I don't know. Assume what you will. The, a thought comes to mind with, uh, with when the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, hey, what about that other group that was casting out devils and stuff in your name? And, and that was an example of them not having corporate faith in the sense of like another extension of the body of Christ, that group B who was doing the Lord's work, they weren't satisfied with what group B was doing. And Jesus had to tell them, Hey, uh, lay off. <laughs> they're doing what they're doing the same thing that you're doing. So there, there was an example of no corporate, at least faith between the, the two groups of group of disciples, a and yeah. group of unnamed disciples. Um, but I don't know. But, and it, a part of that is like you're saying, and I think a description of that would be faith that the body is bigger than just your part. Yeah. Which we, which I I don't see in my life is that like it's hard for me to say, say I'm 
a part of the hand of, mm -hmm. of the body of Christ. It's hard for me to look at the foot and say, well, we're a part of the same body because right. we're doing different things in, in that same I, example. Yeah. And, and to that point, I think that there's, because we, you and I have done so much together and Jason too, being, we've gone on home visits and stuff together. There's a, there's a faith between us three that if, if someone called me and said, Hey, I need a home visit or I need someone to go on a home visit. I say, okay, well, I'm busy tonight. I, I've already, I'm out of the, I'm out of the town. I'm, I'm up in Iowa. I can't make it. There'd be a faith there that I could say, all right, but I have two other guys that I have faith could go. And, and maybe that's what corporate faith looks like of the foot in the other foot or the foot in the other hand or whatever <laughs> could go in my stead. And, you know, and that would be solid, but maybe. Yeah. It's an interesting question. One we should probably all think about. Yeah, I think ultimately it starts with your own personal faith. But yeah, we got to kind of foster the relationships of based on faith with others. And we've, we've been helping lead Zion's League at South Chrysler. And our leader has been talking about the ministry of presence and with just a CE or presence like gifts, not gifts. Okay. As in presence of being, there. I'm always down yes. for the ministry. Of presence. <laughs> yes. No, but he's, he talks about how just you being somewhere and helping with whatever it might be will help build other people up. And the, the more you are together and the more that you are working together and praying together, that is going to create kind of a network of people that you have that are have those shared experiences that we've talked about where you're able to keep building on those experiences. It's like, you know, if you're becoming better friends with someone based on your faith in Christ, then that is also as your friendship grows, your faith will grow as well. Um, so th that's something that came to my mind, but yeah. I think that that's a, a good point is just growing together. And our, as, as you get closer with, with someone in there. Yeah. I mean, friendships are often tied to shared experiences or the, to love of the same thing, or there's, you know, some commonality in terms of there. Um, but as you grow in that and as you evolve your friendship, also your faith grows together, which is a huge point of of just worshiping together, of getting together, it speaks to importance of that. Um, I think that's a good place to wrap up tonight. Um, thank you guys very much for listening. If you have anything you want to add, if you, if you want to add to that this conversation, please don't hesitate to reach out. Send one of us a message, post it on Facebook, uh, email us, whatever please. you want to do. We're lonely. <laughs> We're um, dying. But other than that, we want to <laughs> we want to thank you for for listening and uh, just God bless. A lake of gold in the desert sand is less than a cool fresh spring, and to one lost sheep, a shepherd boy is greater than the richest king.